Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. I'm Kathy Barrett, and life is something we shouldn't do alone. So I hope you'll spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. I'm back after a very brief holiday in Turks and Caicos. It was so lovely to be by the ocean, which is so profoundly healing. And I had such a wonderful time and loved snorkeling with my new best buddies. Um, They are from the Reef Peepers. And the snorkeling trip was led by Captain Santo and his crew, who were incredibly funny and just so lovely to be around. They really made my day. So I told them I would spread the word about them to all of you. So for more information, go to reefkeepers.com. And if you find yourself on Turks and Caicos, book your snorkel trip with them. You'll really have a great time. And we're going to continue with the theme of healing today with our special guest, Michael Fitzpatrick, virtuoso cellist, composer, producer, and founder and creative director of Millennium Music. Michael is the recipient of the Prince Charles Award for Outstanding Musicianship, conferred to by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. He has earned the respect and friendship of government leaders and the artistic community globally for his passion and commitment to use music to inspire humanity. His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama, has said of Michael Fitzpatrick, the emotion induced by Michael Fitzpatrick's music is so powerful, it seems almost verbalized. It brings peace of mind and peace to the world. Michael Fitzpatrick conceived and produced the groundbreaking Compassion Recording and film project Compassion Rising, Tuning the Planet, which was all inspired by the friendship between His Holiness the Dalai Lama and the late Thomas Merton. Millennium Music was commissioned to create a recording designed to share the feeling of compassion with the global audience. It was recommended for a special merit award at the Grammys by Bruce Lundell, president and CEO of EMI Jazz and Classics, who said, Compassion is at once both a prayer and an oral celebration of brotherhood and world peace. It has the power to bring feelings of hope and human compassion to all who listen. We are in for a treat today as Michael Fitzpatrick is with us. You can find out more information about him and purchase his CDs and films by going to michaelfitzpatrick.com as well as tuningtheplanet.com. It's such an honor to have you on the program today, Michael. Welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Sir George Martin, producer of The Beatles, who in my book is one of the greatest producers of all time, says says of you, an exceptional talent, and I could not agree with him more, music is the only thing that can transform the world. You explore the vibrational impact of music and how it can create a deeper experience and healing for the listener. What drove you to want to uplift humanity through the power of music? Uh, I felt it happened to me, you know, and it was, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. Uh, And once you have that experience yourself, uh, and I'm sure your listening audience is is tuned into those kinds of, you call them epiphanies or, or lightning bolts or peak experiences, when you have that, 
kind of an experience, it rearranges your life pattern, it rearranges your molecules. And I was fortunate to have the event occur to me when I was on a concert stage in front of a couple thousand people. And I not only felt it and sort of sort of saw it, but I, I actually heard it. I actually heard the sound of my cello shift into this, uh, like a hyperspace or a hyperdimension in which the sound became uh, like this current, a uh, golden current, but it was also sort of like a like a vapor, as it were, and um, and then I felt that literally uh, embossed the audience, and and then it, it just fused us together, and and then there was no stage, there was no, there was nothing. It was we were just in the sound completely. Um, so that was the the pivot moment uh, when I was 17 when that happened, and it um, it set me on a very specific course because I had to figure out how to make sure that that sound that I had heard shift into hyperspace, I had to make, I had to find ways to make sure that the sound got heard and felt, you know, directly, not as a, a background instrument or, you know, it was a very specific design that, that, that I was essentially tasked with trying to figure out. So that, that that's how it started. And was the process for your discovery as you deepened that, was that part of that through meditation, part of it through other kinds of studies? How did you, how do you maintain that? Yeah, um, I grew up in Kentucky, which is an, a, a very a rich environment energetically. Um, uh-huh. if, yeah, and it's also a very odd environment in a lot of ways, but there is, um, um, I guess, everywhere in the world, there are these pockets where um, there are, are circles of of individuals, artists, consciousness-focused people that can cultivate an environment in which one has access to exactly the kind of things you referenced, to sort of meditative paths, um, I read a lot of Carlos Castaneda in my teens, um, and you know Zen and the Art of Motorcycle. I mean, it's all this stuff was like popular right at that time, and it was breaking. So I had a I had a context for this, um, well, to quote Jim Morrison, of this breaking on through to the other side. That was very much in the field of possibility. So when when this phenomenological event happened to be on the concert stage, I I was able to, to associate it with a lot of the readings I'd done and a lot of the the, um, the stuff that Ram Dass was writing about and Be Here Now. And, you know, it was just very, very practical to be able to try and map it um, um, so that it, that, it, um, that it wasn't completely overwhelming because the, the, the experience itself energetically was completely overwhelming. To, to then to answer your question on going forward with it, I then essentially would employ whatever techniques I found could be useful to helping me um, learn how to ground the energy, specifically how to how to replicate that experience sonically each time I sat down at the cello. And it wasn't that easy. 
you know, it's like one of those uh, basketball games where every shot you throw up goes in, and you think, yeah, I'm going to do that the next game, and you, you get to the next game, and, and you throw up bricks, and, and yeah. so it's taken many, many years to 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 cultivate um, protocols that I'm now able to anchor that vibrational frequency, you know, consistently at the cello. And when I when I connected with the Dalai Lama, that was like that was the um, that's when everything synchronized. Yes. Because yeah. yeah, I saw him embodying the totality of the energy field, and, and he was the first individual I'd met um, in physical form who was embodying the energetic experience that I had on the stage. I, it, it was like a homeopathic resonance field click. That's really yeah. something. And well, before, because I want to talk about your collaboration with Your Holiness, the Dalai Lama, but I just want to play something for the listeners. I want them to hear your live recording of the at the National Cathedral in Washington. The composition is called Invocation for World Peace, so they can hear what we're talking about.
Bravo, just amazingly mm. beautiful, amazingly beautiful. And I saw you perform that piece at Peace Village at the Images and Voices of Hope Summit this year and personally witnessed the impact that your playing had on the audience and myself. It was it was really amazing to watch no one could get out of their seat. I mean, you could visually see that each person was touched and kind of connected in a very, you know, universal way. And I was really, you know, that was the first time I saw you perform live, and I was really, really blown away by it. It was just uh, one of the most extraordinary experiences I've had at a concert. Um, So I wanted to tell folks that they can also go to YouTube and can experience you uh, doing that performance, uh, and they can go to your website again, michaelfitzpatrick.com, and tuningtheplanet.com, and be sure to check out his touring schedule because his concerts are remarkable and not to be missed. What is it like to collaborate with Your Holiness, Dalai Lama, and how was the Compassion Project first conceived? Um, well, what it's like is like meeting yourself for the first time. Hmm. That's the best way I know how to describe it. You just suddenly become you. Wow. So, yeah, that was... I didn't know what to expect when I connected with him. This was 1996, so that's 15 years ago. And as in life, so many times we're trying to get one place and we end up somewhere else and we're wondering how we could have possibly ended up where we ended up and we're thinking we've lost and the plan has gone awry and, you know, it's a dead end. And I, I was sort of in that place. I was uh, was trying to make it out actually here to Los Angeles. And I'd, I'd been in New York City. I'd been in Chicago. And uh, the grand plan just, it just went up in smoke. And I had to retreat back to Kentucky where I'd grown up and essentially vowed never to return to. And uh, here I am uh, really quite at a loss uh, to understanding what was going on and through a a series of extraordinary confluence of events uh, the Dalai Lama was arriving in Kentucky just at that time to spend six days at the Abbey of Gethsemane, the monastery that Thomas Merton had lived at and and written from in retreat um, in the well 40s, 50s and 60s until he met the Dalai Lama in 68. And these two monks, essentially it would be the equivalent in modern times of the Jesus carrier meeting the Buddha carrier. I mean, it was it was, it was as high level as it gets. And they met and made plans to join forces and, and you know, hopefully try and make the world a better place. And uh, but as fate would have it, Merton gets electrocuted a few weeks later in a, in a freak accident. And the Dalai Lama makes a a formal pledge that he's going to dedicate the rest of his life to fulfill Merton's wish to bring, uh, ideally, the world together. That was was the big goal. So now all of a sudden here comes the Dalai Lama to spend six days at Merton's monastery. I get invited to provide the sacred music for the summit and um, picture yourself um, (laughs) in a boat on a river in a, in a basically a medieval uh, monastery in France, I mean, it was, or like a castle. It was a very unusual setting, uh, right in the in the heart of Kentucky. And 
there were 50 of us that were there, 25 from the east, 25 from the west, and we spent six days together, essentially in meditation, silence, dialogue, and then the music became this, it was like the catalytic converter of this consciousness that was was birthing uh, between the eastern and western participants. Um, so it, it, it kind of became this, um, it was like a, like a soldering iron uh, of sonics that gave sound to the, the emerging consciousness and it gave, it amplified the feeling that was already being generated. The feeling was this really intense, it was like a pulse wave of compassion, um, oh. you know, that, that was filled with, with a pulse wave of love, that was filled with a pulse wave of, wave of peace. And, and there was a there was a luminosity to it, so the, the the sound then became this this alchemical firing agent that that essentially um, it's like it was no longer a thought and no longer just a feeling. It was it was an embodiment. So the Dalai Lama's people and the organizers of the summit, which were essentially the monks and the nuns of, uh, representing the Vatican in North America said, look, you know, we think that the music is the most effective vehicle to share this this pulse wave, uh, this feeling of compassion and love and peace with the global audience. Um, we would like you to create a recording that can um, embody that and transmit it, which is, you know, that's a pretty interesting conceptual invitation from some monks and nuns. It's like, wow, they really... They really get the power of the music. How fabulous! So, I had <laughs> I just thought, well, look, if we're going to do it, let's just do the thing so that it has the most impact. And, and the idea came to me in that moment of, of recording it inside of the largest cave in the world, which happens to be in Kentucky, and you know, it's all known to to those of us that grew up there. It's called Mammoth Cave, um, but it's not like a large cavern. It's not like a bunch of large caverns. It's 350 miles of planetary space, internal wow. space. Yeah. So we went in there specifically, this phrase just came to me last night. It was it's, it was announcing itself over and over and over again. I was trying to think, how do I explain what it is that, why we went in there? And as I was attempting to fall asleep last night, it kept, it kept saying over and over again, we went in to find the sound of the Holy Grail or the Holy Grail of sound. That was the point. That's huge. That's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not only a huge idea, it's a huge undertaking to do this recording to, you know, just logistically to pull this off. And how was that experience for you? It's still going. <laughs> it's like the further I get from it, the more absurd I realize the whole thing was. And, yeah, just completely over the top. There's, It was an utter impossibility, which fortunately I didn't know. Uh, otherwise, I would have just looked at you pick your 200 obstacles that you, that were each one was, was, you know, the size of the rock at Gibraltar, and it's like, yeah, I just would have walked away from it. Um, but... The feeling of the feeling of that pulse wave that that got generated over those six days with the Dalai Lama 
was so strong that it drove me through the three years of pre-production that it took to get us into the cave. And then the experience that we had in the cave and uh, two other sites, we went back to the monastery and then we got led to this sacred Zen temple on top of Furnace Mountain in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. So we, we ended up with these three sort of like mythic um, resonating chambers. Uh, that experience was, and, and the pulse wave that we then got to experience strictly musically. You know, the first one was yeah. monks and nuns with music added. This was music, music, music that was being sounded by monks and musicians, but but you know with a, with a with an even more specific intent. So that the energy from those five days and that experience, that the, the depth of field presence inside the cave was well, it was very much womb-like, um, but it it um, I'm convinced that it, it it permanently imprinted all of us. With this, some just like like a heightened um, heightened spin to the to the to the molecular structure of our of our DNA, I suppose. Um, and then the challenge became: All right, now how do you? Okay, great, you had this experience. How do you give it away? How do you share it? And we spent a year. It, it took us to to figure out how to map that onto a CD, and, and the trick was getting the sequence of the, of the Compassion CD exactly right so that it could draw the listener into this really deep space and then journey through it and come up um, on the other side transformed. So I, I'm still a huge Pink Floyd fan, and, and Dark Side of the Moon was one of those albums that just changed my life, so I thought, well, we're going to use Dark Side of the Moon as the concept model for the Compassion CD, and we're going to, you know, all the tracks are going to run into the next one, and it's going to be a mystery and a surprise as to, well, how do you blend Tibetan chant with Gregorian chant, with spoken word, with um, really beautiful sacred music and new cutting-edge fusion music? How do you blend that in a way that... Um, that conveys that pulse wave experience that I've been describing. So that took another year. It's really an extraordinary story. And then the trailer for Compassion Rising, the film companion to the recording and to this whole story, looks spectacular. Tell them a little bit about the film and what's happening with it right now. It took us a year to get the CD finished and, and out. So then we thought, oh, great, now we'll make the movie. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant. I thought that meant you. You know, then you just make the movie, and uh, it has taken me to the edges and limits of creative understanding and and utter um, um, fascination and respect for anyone that has made a movie, and, and in particular, you know, really great filmmakers, what it takes. And so it became clear a couple years into the process that the the beauty of the surroundings of Kentucky, which were so intrinsic to um, 
creating this this experience were were not the right conditions for creating the film. And so I I moved out to LA in uh, 2006 and have then been faced with the same question. How do you turn that pulse wave that we all felt in those six days and then we again felt in the five days in the music making, how do you turn that pulse wave into a visual, audio experience that you actually that generates that experience of that pulse wave? How do you do that? And from time to time, the, a piece of that puzzle would reveal itself, and then there would be months or long stretches where the thing would go dark. Um, and finally, to say nothing of logistical challenges, fiscal challenges, you know, every kind of thing you can imagine. Um, and within the last, I would say, the last couple of months, my, my team out here, which is spearheaded by Academy Award winner Maria Florio, who did the really heartbreaking film Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion, about the Tibetan genocide, um, and another colleague of mine who had been the former art director at 20th Century Fox, the three of us put our brain trust together and were like, all right, let's, let's figure it out now, or let's let it figure it out for us. And we've, we're, we've got it now. Conceptually, it's, it's, it revealed its, its beginning, middle, and end, and um, the resolution of, of this inquiry was it, it is about the, that pulse wave of compassion, um, but ultimately it's about tuning the planet, that the planet itself is birthing this pulse wave of compassion, peace, and love from within itself, and if we can literally tune into that, and listen and feel that pulse, um, then you know there's exciting possibilities for for the world to um, to respond to that pulse. Absolutely, and to do it not you know with the music and then through film. I mean, you're just you just keep expanding and expanding the audience right. globally, which I think is really really terrific. And so I can't wait until it's. Uh, do you have any kind of S- estimation as to when you think it will be complete? Well, what it told us, uh, it, it told us 12, 12, 12. Oh, interesting. I love that. That's great. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. When that appeared, that was like, yeah, okay, 12, 12, 12, we'll, we'll do it. And it's a good time because if you get it into the theaters by then, then it'll, you could possibly get nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. So there you go. The most important thing is sharing that pulse wave. That's all yeah. that matters. That's yeah, all that matters. I, I got it. Nothing else matters. And I remember at one at a key juncture of, with the Dalai Lama, and he just said, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, do it, you know, practice it diligently, sincerely. And then he said, that's the point. And he, and he brought his hand down on the lectern, and when he did it, it was like this, wow. It was just, it was like a deep, deep sense that the earth had rumbled. And that's the point. And as long as we st- are stay on point with it, um, everything will unfold as, you know, however it wants. It's okay. 
Exactly. And I think that's, uh, although I hate to let you go, uh, that is a great way to end the program. Michael Fitzpatrick, you are an extraordinary talent. Thank you so much for bringing your spirit and light to my program, and I really thank you for sharing your work with us today. I applaud your efforts to tune the planet, and you have an open invitation to come back anytime you want to come back to the program and keep us posted about what you're doing. In any way we can support you, we're happy to do so. Thank you so much, Kathy. Next week we have, it's Valentine's Day and uh, on Behind the Curtain, and our show title is The Color of Love. We will celebrate this day with a discussion on unity and peace and the healing of race relations with the brilliant Dr. Kitty Oliver a producer, author, oral historian, journalist, writing professor on race and ethnic relations, and we will be discussing her groundbreaking work. So be sure to make us your virtual Valentine next week. We're going to send you out with another cut from Michael Fitzpatrick's Compassion Rising CD. This cut is Dawn of the Millennium. And this is Kathy Barrett. I'm sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. So great to have you along on this journey. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll tune in.